Joseph. And I'm Nick. And this is Fish Jelly. Mm-hmm. How are you? Uh, <laughs> I'm good. How are you? Okay. Uh, I'm anticipating an interesting conversation today. I'm just tired. Mm-hmm. Uh, you went out last night. We both did. To a place called... What was the venue? The, the night was called Otter Pop. At a place called the Silver Lake Lounge in Silver Lake, mm-hmm. which is sort of like a, a, a neighborhood bar. The dive, yeah. That has like themed nights, and this one is like, I guess, for gays. I don't know that this is. Yeah, it's. It's not usually a gay bar. It's no, it's, but uh, the night is called like a queer dance party. All I have to say is it was a little too crowded. Yeah. A little too hot. It mm-hmm. was very warm in there. Everyone was looking greasy as hell. Mm-hmm. The monkey pox floating around, COVID floating around, overpriced drinks. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, cause it I, was not for me. At the door, they gave, they were giving away tickets for... What was the drink I had? What was it called? Uh, it was kumquat flavor. No, but the, what was the name of the Heartbreakers brand? Heartbreakers or something? No. Yeah. Anyway. It was. It was called Heartbreakers. Yeah. Let me keep talking. Let me find Anyway, the the, the, you know, the, they fooled us because they had free drink tickets, you know, for a first drink. And we're like, oh, we'll get that. And then like, oh, this is fine. I'll get another one. Um, those things were $12 a piece for a hard seltzer. Oh, yes. It's called, um, I was trying to look up how much these cost because a four pack can't be more than like. It wasn't yeah, it's was like $20 for a four-pack. Like Ambrosia, Jesus. Yeah, I don't... I mean, I would definitely buy these. Um, it's called Livewire Heartbreaker, and it's a blend of vodka, grapefruit, kumquat, ginger. It was delicious. So I'm, I'm going to make my way to BevMo this afternoon and buy more. But yeah, I don't like these bars that... Like, I don't know if just to try to drum up business they're like let's have a gay night and we'll just offer free entry fuck the fire codes and then <laughs> like well i think they said that that was their one year anniversary of having that night so i think it's once a month you know i don't know these the who owns it and, and what they do so i'm not trying to be that difficult but i just don't like like their restroom situation is bad. It was super hot, like poor ventilation, super crowded. And then when I, because I left and then you stayed, when I left, there was a long line around the block. Like, mm-hmm. it's too much. Well, it's like, <laughs> it's like hot dog at El Cid. It's like these nights. It's not that crowded though there. No, but these nights, these these bars that aren't, or restaurants that aren't gay establishments, but because they have this popular the, the uh, night or an event that's popular, all the gays go. And so, well, what about supporting your other gay bars that... I'm glad that there are spaces and, you know... I agree. And like I agree. Embra- like em- em- embracing different crowds and having different nights. You know, there are a lot of bars, especially in Silver Lake and Echo Park, that have very diverse... Like, their calendars, like mm-hmm. hip-hop, comedy, mashups, like live rock music, gay nights, you know, tra- trap music or whatever, booty-shaking music. Like, I appreciate that. It's mm-hmm. just... I don't know. I, I'm too old to be uncomfortable. I'm not trying to look at a bunch of greasy, sweaty-ass people breathing on me. I can't use the bathroom in a timely fashion. Again, monkeypox is floating around. Mm-hmm. So I was not comfortable and left. Anyway, RuPaul's Drag Race All-Star 7, the winter season, we have a winner. Yeah. 
Uh, drum roll, please. Who won? Jinx Monsoon. Jinx Monsoon. Very anticlimactic. It was because she clearly was dominating. She won five challenges mm-hmm. out of the 12 episodes. Yeah. <laughs> well, 11, really. So she won almost half of the challenges. <laughs> and then obviously won in the end. But as we know, they sort of... No one ever went home. They split the eight queens into like the top four who had a chance to win queen of all queens and then the b-side and then the b-side the b-side bitches were um the bottom four who were going to one of them would be crowned the queen of she'd an already done had herses and get 50k and that person would get 50k and then the queen of all queens would get 200k so jinx won she ultimately went up against monet exchange and they did a lip sync to um what was the song they did swish swish bish that's right by Katy perry which I thought Monet did a better job. I did too. I uh, was kind of surprised that, you know, but it's not based on, you know, as you said, RuPaul always says, it's your last chance to impress me. So it's just one more thing to add to the total package. So I think even though Monet did a better lip sync, overall, Jinx deserved to win. Um, and then Raja won for the, 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 the B-side group. She lip sync against... Uh, Evie Oddly mm-hmm. to what song did they do? They did that Aretha Eurythmics Sisters. Oh, Sisters are doing it for themselves. Mm-hmm. I thought they both did fine. I, I think Raja deserves it more because she's the oldest queen, as in like she won her crown the longest time ago. Sure, but she and also I, ran circles around a lot of them too. And then I think she should have won more challenges than she actually did. I and agree. I think her, her sense of fashion is... Um, inspiring well it's also nice to see you know as people age like that kind of kindness and empathy that wasn't uh previously apparent yeah when she was on season three she seemed kind of like a bitch and then now she's very like zen and chill and you know wise i i I really like this evolved version of her so Mm -hmm. i'm glad she got her little 50k but that's it there's so much more drag race coming i don't know that i'm Honestly, a little tired of talking about Drag Race. I enjoy watching it, but it's just like, unless, yeah. I don't even like talking about it with people who watch it a lot. Because mm-hmm. it feels like sports. Kinda. Like just running off stats to people who also know the stats. And and the people are very passionate about who should win or not. I'm not saying we won't continue to talk about it, but there's so many. Like, Well, yeah, because. We're also concurrently watching Canada and France. Canada and France. France, kind of, but we are watching Canada. And then we have uh, Celebrity, which I'm sure we might talk about depending on who's on that. Then Australia's coming, which I'm sure I'll watch just because I'm so traumatized from how bad the first season of Australia was. Anyway, that's Um, that. But shout out to France because we watched the Snatch Game episode of that. And I really was impressed by Paloma. Who did Fanny Ardant. Who did Fanny Ardant. Very well. I thought several of them did a good job, and the only person I recognized was Fanny Ardant. The rest of the characters, I didn't know who they were, but I thought for the most part, they were all funny. Yeah. So yeah, good job to them. And, and that is taking into consideration some, I think, terrible, uh, trans, terribly translated subtitles from Wild Brazil. Yeah, but that's not the first time that's happened. We had that with, um, there was another season we watched where we, is it? Is it Italy or or Spain? One of them we had this like the translation is just it was it was garbage. It was so bad that it's just like I can't watch it. 
Anyway, you have your best of July list. So number five is... Uh, and, and this is for like new releases in July. Oh, yeah. So July is uh, crowning this one. Um, I think I it was kind of a weak month for film, but at five I have tied because of the actresses in them because I didn't love either of these films. But Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris is definitely definitely catch up with that for Isabelle Huppert and Leslie Manville. Uh, and She Will, a kind of um, weird genre tinged film with Alice Kriege as a witch. Number four. Uh, four, God in the Dark, with the, a, new, a new Winona Ryder film. Uh, had an interesting concept. I also like Dermot Mulroney. Number three. Both Sides of the Blade. Brand new Claire Denis, Must See, uh, with Juliette Binoche and Vincent, Vincent Lindon. Number two. Jordan Peele's Nope. Uh, I, you know, this is a film I feel like they should... It, I have some issues with it because I think it, it cuts down on character character development drastically. But then I read after we saw it that there's a three-hour cut, really, the, the original cut. So I think he had to pare it down per the studio, probably. So I'd really be interested in seeing what he envisioned originally. But it's definitely worth seeing in the theater. Number one. Resurrection, uh, starring Rebecca Hall and Tim Roth uh, for weirdo, gonzo cinema. Uh, must see, I think. Okay, moving on. You have a list from Venice 2022. So, Are these like films you're looking forward to? Yeah, I, I documenting my most anticipated because Venice announced their complete lineup uh, since we last recorded. Uh, opening the festival is White Noise, directed by Noah Baumbach, uh, based on the Don DeLillo novel, which I finished reading this week. I'm very curious to see what Baumbach does uh, reuniting Adam Driver and Greta Gerwig. Um, the film, the the book doesn't because it was written in '85, and it doesn't read as satirical to me because of the world we live in now. So I'm I'm interested to see um, certain maybe tweaks and changes. Uh, there's also uh, it's being compared to the production of it's being compared to Chimino's uh, Heaven's Gate, as in just this long, elaborate, messy slog of a production. So, yeah, uh, Tar, uh, directed by Todd Field, his first film since. Um, Little Children's, a long time waiting with uh, Kate Blanchett. Very excited for that. The Eternal Daughter, a new Joanna Hogg film, uh, which she filmed in secret with Tilda Swinton uh, over the pandemic. Uh, the Sitting Duck, this is in the Horizon sidebar with uh, Isabel Huppert from the director Mama Weed. Very exciting to me. And then, of course, I am most excited for Master Gardener, starring Sigourney Weaver and Joel Edgerton, uh, which... Uh, Paul Schrader's getting a Lifetime Achievement Award, so it's not allowed to be in the competition, so it's an out-of-competition slot, which bums me out, because what if Sigourney's really good and she could have won Best Actress, but whatever. Uh, yeah, I'm very excited to uh, be seeing that. Okay, there were more questions from, for advice, slash just questions, I guess, that are being consolidated. So first, um, do you have advice for a film critic or someone trying to make a film podcast on what makes... Like, like what makes someone, what would make someone good at that? I think just do it is my advice and uh, practice makes perfect. And, you know, especially uh, no matter what age you are starting out writing about film, you know, we all start out from a place of extreme ignorance because there's so much out there. I feel like I learned, you know, it, it's something I'm deeply invested in and I'm learning something new about somebody new to me every day really because of how cinema connects you to everything and you can go down a, a rabbit hole 
you know, pick one filmmaker and go down a rabbit hole in six degrees of separation with everybody that's in their films, and you uh, can get a really nice broad overview really quickly. Uh, and I'm and I'm a, a deep dive type of person, but to, my advice is just start, just start to uh, hone your voice, and and you can only do that by the more you write, the more you read, the more you watch, the more you talk about it. I don't consider myself a film critic, but well, you, well, I would say, are. but I would say that. Um, I think it would be like, just start doing it. It doesn't cost anything to start writing. A website is cheap. I know we don't have one yet, but it's coming. Uh, but having a website is not expensive. Writing your thoughts down. I mean, there are free platforms, I suppose. Um, I don't want a free platform, um, but so that's why it's taking longer to have stuff done in that regard. But yeah, like just write, just, and, they, and even like YouTube videos, like just do them. Mm -hmm. We started making them not, I mean, I, originally I wasn't even thinking that the original ones would be posted. Or, and then I was very self-conscious, like just about every aspect of it. But, you know, two years later, it's. And I think this same person asked about, um, you know, what to do to avoid overthinking it. I don't think you should even think about that. Just do it. Just, just get it out there. Just write it. And, and you, you learn as you go and don't be afraid to make mistakes or be wrong sometimes because at the core of it, and I think this person also asked about what makes a, what I believe makes a subpar film critic. It's not sharing your honest opinion and reaction. Well, it, that's what I was going to talk about is because I think like, what is the, I mean, what is a critic? I mean, it's like, you know, it, like everyone has an asshole, but I think the idea is that if you put your shit out there and people connect with it and they get to know your flavor and they feel like maybe you have something in common or not. Maybe people totally disagree with you, but they like the way you say things and, and they like your references. And that's for whatever reason, I think you have to be consistent, which means being honest and being and having, you know, it's okay to <laughs> disparage something. But uh, if you're coming from a place of, you know, respect for the craft that it, that is cinema, uh, you know, I think that just becomes that becomes apparent. I don't read a lot of reviews because I don't like to read very much, but then, and then I don't, I do watch some video reviews like on YouTube. And the common thing I see is like, people just seem so fake. Like, mm -hmm. cause they are <laughs> like, they're just happy that someone sent them a free movie to review. You know, when you start your review off by saying like, thank you to, you know, yeah. universal for letting me girl, like I'm not, for a movie ticket that would have cost $17, I can go watch that shit on my own. And half of this, more than half of the stuff that gets reviewed is available on a streaming platform that you already pay for. Mm -hmm. So the fact that you got to see it a week early is not enough for me to like look like a clown and pretend that I think that, you know, Morbius is a great movie. Okay. Like, it's just not, I'm not doing that. So I think that's what makes a bad critic. And I think people see right through that. But, you know, people like, like with many topics, they want to, you know, they, they funnel themselves into a bubble where people share their same opinions. And, you know, it is what it is. But for me, it's very obvious when people are just talking shit. Like, mm -hmm. they, like they're just, they just want to keep getting free movies. Or be quoted all over everything. Uh, 
you you can you can tell if you were to read a lot of film criticism. Free movies don't pay for my Audi, so I'm not gonna sit here and sound crazy talking about a movie I know I didn't like, pretending that it's like the best movie of the year. And people comment on our videos like it's just spam, like they're just going and and it's not always negative. It's just like this is the greatest movie mm-hmm. of the year, and it's like really, yeah, no. this one. But if, you, if but that, that's the other thing. That's fine if you think that. Yeah, you can like what you like, and it's okay. I mean, that's the beauty of listening to other people is to get a sense of what people like. I don't presume, you know. Yeah, I don't. And you know, it's also okay. I think I had a hard time starting out too. Is it's okay to modify or change? You know, as you grow as a person, you're. The, and the more information you learn about the world, you change your opinion about some things. Or you're like, oh, I love that at a certain point in my life because it spoke to me at this time. And, and cinema's art. Like, it, it, it's about a mood and an audience. Yes. And, like, you know, not, it, it's not going to be fit for everyone and everyone's going to see it the same way. But if you're willing to exert the energy to try to place yourself... I don't know, it's... It's like so simple in one regard and then it's kind of complicated like how we view other people's opinions and and subject ourselves to other people's opinions. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't want to get my feelings. I always say this. I don't ever look up what people think about Janet Jackson because I'm just going to get my feelings hurt. I'm just going to get mad because this artist means a lot to me. But I know people think that she can't sing and she's too quiet and she's, she's fat and she has too much plastic surgery and all the things that people say about her. It doesn't matter to me. I still, she still means a lot to me. That that's so funny that you, that you say that because as a as a kid, I would pour over every Sigourney Weaver mentioned in print, and I remember I would start hating like some film critics yeah. then because I remember who's that who's that dummy that works for Rolling Stone, uh, Peter Travers. I remember trashing Copycat. Uh, but giving Scream 2 this glowing review, and I'm like, you fucking fool. But we have to respect just how I sit on video and talk shit about a lot of movies. It It's more like, it's my opinion. Mm-hmm. It's my opinion. Like Tamara from Real Housewives said. Like, And if people find my opinion valid or amusing, then that's what it's there for. But if you think that I'm a clown, and then then don't listen to me. I don't know why you're watching me. I don't know why you keep... Like, I do recognize people keep commenting, like, negatively. It's like, why do you keep watching me mm-hmm. to be mad? Like, <laughs> thanks for the views, I guess, but... I It's it's also okay to enjoy... Maybe the, 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 my veneers are hypnotizing them with the bright light. I don't know. I don't know why people uh, continue to watch. I think it's okay to... I think it's okay to engage with people that have opposing opinions, too. That I agree. So, so that doesn't I think it's me. fun. It's yeah. invigorating. Well, I, lo- I, I learn things. You like, learn things, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think it's fun to listen to people who don't share the same opinion. Because then it highlights the fact that, oh, this 23-year-old straight white guy would have a different opinion. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting to hear what they think. You know, even watching... Uh, we just posted a review for that... Kevin Bacon film they them mm-hmm. and there aren't that many online but I was watching one and it's actually like uh, a two gay guys one's black one's white I don't know that they're a couple but they were talking about it and they loved it oh and I thought the movie was garbage mama but 
But I still was very interested to hear what they had to say. And I wasn't sitting, I was listening to it while I was in the shower. I wasn't standing there seething with the water running over me. I was thinking, oh, this is interesting. Mm -hmm. And oh, I wonder what, like, how could I have seen it differently? Like, it's, it's interesting. It's fun. I, I, I learn things even when I don't agree. So it's a shame that people get so, like, become so vile and aggressive. Because mm -hmm. it's pointless. Doesn't do shit to me. I'm not afraid of anyone running up on me. Like, it just, it makes no sense. But there there are more questions, so we need to hurry up. Oh, oh. So someone else asked, like, uh, for someone who considers themselves a cinephile, what are the top, like, three films that they must see? Oh, God. This Which is, I know is going to be impossible for you. This is such a hard question because I also want to, I, I want to bracket it into different groups of things. Yeah, and, but, I, and we don't have time for that. But off the top of my head, when I, right before you said you were going to be posing this question... Uh, to me, uh, Tarkovsky's Stalker, uh, Zulowski's Possession, and Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing. Okay, can I add to this? Because I do have something to say about this. It, I don't have a top three, but I want to... Something that really annoys me is when people say like, oh, um, Marilyn... Well, is that a good example? I'll just use that. Oh, I love Marilyn Monroe. Mm -hmm. And you're like, oh, what's your favorite? Oh, have you seen this? And Niagara. Then you, have you seen Niagara? And then you realize that that person has only seen one Marilyn Monroe, Monroe movie. Yeah. Or they say they love... So Someone approached me um, and said that they had seen on Instagram that like our garage has a lot of Sigourney Weaver posters. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh. And they're like, oh, I love her. Mm -hmm. Oh, what's your favorite movie? And then, of course, it was like Alien. And then I was talking, and then it was clear they hadn't seen other. It's like you can't say you love someone and you're not familiar with their work. Mm -hmm. So I, if I had to say like films you must see as a cinephile, I, I think that it's more general. Like if you say you're a cinephile, is it like in general, like you are just a lover of film or are you super into horror? Because if you're super into horror, then you need to watch a lot of horror film. Mm -hmm. It's like any specialty, right? If you're a cardiologist and you do a residency and you spend the majority of your time working on the cardiovascular system, like, so I just don't understand how people make these statements and then they don't, they're not experts in the thing they say they love. Mm -hmm. Like they love, that's a big word. That's why I'm like, I can't, that, yeah, there, there are different. And that's what file this. means, right? Like yeah. love. Mm -hmm. So you, I mean, <laughs> you can't name any of these people's movies or a particular director. So that's what I would say. If you say you love something, a director or a genre, then you or an actor, then you need to have watched all of their films. Mm -hmm. And then another question was, what's a favorite line of yours that was used in like a review? Because you've had quotes used on actual like DVD cases. You've mm -hmm. had quotes used in trailers. Yeah. So what's your like immediate thought? Um, I don't, I, I don't have memorized what was was pulled ever for anything that I've been quoted on. But I remember the first one uh, was Ava DuVernay's uh, Middle of Nowhere in 2012. I was quoted in that trailer. And I was I remember being very proud and excited about that. And then I remember being very happy. When That's how you met her. I interviewed her at the film fest at Sundance. Before the quote. Before the quote, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. oh. Um, I, and <laughs> that was a... That was a, a really exciting interview, but I was so nervous because I'd only done like two interviews before that. And then they didn't say that the cast would be there. So David Oyelowo and uh, Emma Yatsi 
Corny Aldi and Amari Hardwick were all just sitting there waiting for me. <laughs> like, oh my God. Uh, I would have walked in like, hey, y'all. <laughs> I was like, oh. And then the batteries died on the Let's plane. get this done like cake farts. But anyway. it, 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 when, it was actually ended up being a very good interview. Anyway, and then uh, I remember buying uh, the 2011 film My Worst Nightmare starring Isabelle Huppert. And it showed up uh, in the mail. And there I was quoted on the cover. <laughs> But you don't recall what the quote was. No, and it, yeah, and that was back in 2011, and it just said Ion Cinema. And then I, I think I'm probably most excited because my actual name appears alongside a quote in the trailer for Mama Weed. Um, another Isabel. Another movie. Isabel Pair film. But I will say that uh, that movie, I remember I, the pandemic was full force, and I begged the French distributor to let me have a link, and they gave it to me. That's how you and I saw it. So we saw it way ahead of um, a lot of English-speaking regions. And I remember being so excited about being in that trailer. And some a very notable film critic said, like, oh, well, you know, to be fair, you saw that before anybody else, so that's why. <laughs> but whatever, there I am. It's fine. People stay mad. It's okay. Mm-hmm. It's not good for your skin. But anyway, um, yeah, I think most people are sending questions via Instagram. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that works. They're, you know, I'm trying my best <laughs> to uh, s- sift through uh, messages, but um, I think I do a pretty good job. Mm-hmm. There's nothing in the sorry to this man section, but I know I made a few mistakes in some reviews. But I'll wait to see who corrects me. Moving okay. on, films released we didn't cover: DC League of Super Pets. Yep, that's not even on my radar. I know. Uh, yeah. Allie- Go ahead. Allie and Ava? Yeah, uh, Cleo Barnard. Uh, I liked her first film, but has since kind of disappointed me. But uh, she had a new film. This was a Cannes 2021 in the director's Fortnite that I saw. It's basically a remake of uh, Fassbender's Ali, Fear Eats the Soul. And that film itself is a remake of All That Heaven Allows. Uh, mm, okay, really good soundtrack, though. Is that it? Um, that I'm saying about that. Okay, next is Medusa. Uh, this, I think, was also Cannes 2021 in, in Direct Fortnite. Uh, a Brazilian film, Anita, by Anita Roca de Silveira. I think it's a lot, it's got a lot of interesting things about it. It's about a group of these young Christian women that put on masks at night and go around in a gang and beat any woman that's acting unruly into submission. Uh, <laughs> Which sounds a lot better, I think, than the film actually plays, but it does have some have some interesting things in it. Next, a love song. <sighs> I like Dale Dickey. I like Wes Studi, and it's nice to see them both in lead roles in this intimate little drama that played out of Sundance this year, directed by Max Walker Silverman. But I had no, it, I didn't like it, <laughs> and I had no interest in rewatching it. Next, Not Okay. Uh, this uh, young lady named Quinn Shepard has directed a film starring Zoe Deutsch uh, I, I, that opened this week called no, Not Okay. I'm not... It's a, I passed on it, but it, it sounds interesting. It's about a young woman that pretends to be the victim of something or other and it blows up in her face. Oh, something I would have wanted to... Or I want to watch is The Reef Stocked. By, directed by Andrew Trauke. And I don't know that uh, screeners were made available to this. However, I was interested to learn that it's a sequel to his 2010 film, The Reef. So why 13 years later? We needed it. I guess so. I always have time for a shark movie. I know you do. 
Next, Sharp Stick. Yeah, this was also out of Sundance 2021, 2022 this year. Uh, new Lena Dunham film. And I had this on and you were even annoyed at the clips that you saw back what? in January. What was it? What did I watch? I don't know. You were just like, oh, this sounds terrible. Uh, and, and it was. And I had no interest in rewatching it. So See, my instincts are all usually spot on. I can just walk in and know I'm... I'm in. <laughs> I find it funny she adapted, exposed to some bullshit. She's got a new movie coming out that premieres a TIFF based on the. I remember my mother having this book, Catherine called Birdie. Uh, and that is, she directed that next. But this this feels like a film because she hasn't done anything for a, a while. That felt like I got to make a movie and I have access to these people. And here's a, a semi charming indie film. Mool. Lastly, we met in virtual reality. Uh, this came out on HBO Max, I believe. I think it was Sundance this year as well. It was shot completely in virtual reality. Uh, and that's all I know about it. But Okay, movies we watched for fun. You watched something called I'm Dangerous tonight? Yes, Toby Hooper. Kino Lover put out on Blu-ray. I had not been aware of this. It turns out it's the television film. Uh, based on a Cornell Woolrich film. And it, it's very low-key, light on the genre elements, considering it's... Uh, Toby Hooper of Poltergeist and Texas Chainsaw Massacre fame. But it stars Machin Amick. Uh, she'd only really had Twin Peaks under her belt at this point. Uh, R. Lee Ermey of, uh, of course, Full Metal Jacket. Uh, D. Wallace is uh, got a great little role in it. And so does Anthony Perkins. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Oh, you, you put down College Hill. Yeah, we didn't talk about it. We didn't talk about it. So BT Plus uh, brought back College Hill, but the Celebrity Edition... So this time uh, we have Big Frida, Nene Leakes, Lamar Odom, Slim Thug, who now goes by Big Slim. Oh, Ray J's in it. And then two people I don't know much about, um, Dream Doll and I don't even know the other one. Eight Love, Asia Love. Oh, or, yeah, yeah. Um, but the premise is that <laughs> these celebrities are going to school to an HBCU in Texas for eight, for eight weeks to do like a certificate program, mm -hmm. like in interdisciplinary studies, which so, I think is funny because they keep talking about like, we're going to go to college, we're going to get our degree. And it's like, no, this is a certificate for an eight week program. Oh, and Stacey Dash. Oh shit. And Stacey Dash. Who, who dropped out because. Child, Stacey Dash didn't even make it two episodes because the moment... Okay, so they're in this big mansion that's not very... I mean, it's not like a... It's as fancy as that area could provide. Mm -hmm. But everyone walks in and Stacey Dash is the last person mm -hmm. to show up at the house. And they all recognize her as that like black lady Republican. As a problem. <laughs> like as a problem. And she is super standoffish. Yeah. And doesn't want to talk to anyone. And I think she's there like... She spends like two nights when the group decides that the only way to get her to fraternize with them is they need to switch up the room situation. So she has to share a room. Because Stacy was, because originally everyone, uh, everyone was assigned a room and somehow Stacy got her own room and others had to share. And that was Nini Leakes doing and that. And Nini being messy as, the, as what, you know, she's good at that. She's like, let's take a house vote. And everyone except one other person votes to switch up rooms. And Stacy gets mad. And then that night, like, won't come, or like that morning, won't come out of her room, calls 911. The paramedics come, get her. They wrap her up like a burrito so we can't see her face. And then she never comes back. And we're never told why. That We're just told that she's not coming back. Um, you know, I think 
crazy. I'm sure it seems silly to people watching it casually, but I was actually quite moved by a lot of it because I think it speaks to... It's not just... Um, you know, a lot of celebrities don't have formal educations, mm -hmm. right? So, and especially the celebrities and, you know, who occupy the demographics we see um, in this lot. But I think it also represents a lot of people who just do the best they can <clears throat> straight out of high school, if they even graduate high school, because they're not the most scholastic. College is not for everyone. Not everyone knows how to do it or how to get in or... You know, a lot of people don't have the support or the knowledge to just say, like, yeah, obviously my next step is this and I'm going to do this to be this. So I think listening to all of them, even Ray J, who's so obnoxious in life, in everything, even he all talk about how important it is to show that they value education and they hope that it inspires either their children, their fan base. So I think in that regard, and then watching these celebrities be so uncomfortable I think sends a good message that it doesn't matter if you're famous or rich or you're used to being in on a stage with 10,000 people watching you. It's intimidating getting in front of a classroom and giving a presentation mm -hmm. yeah. about something that is not your expertise or you're not super interested in. Mm -hmm. So I, I found it actually, I mean, there are many moments when I kind of got a little emotional. There were some pretty powerful scenes because they have to take um, ethnic studies. Mm -hmm. And at one point, um, the professor reconstructs like the living quarters of Harriet Tubman. No, not Harriet Tubman. It wasn't Harriet it Tubman. It wasn't Harriet Tubman. Oh. It was another woman that had been a slave and then... Oh, my apologies. But then she makes them sort of occupy that space. That was pretty moving. Yeah. Um. Yeah, but anyway, it it's a silly show, but I think it has heart. And Big Frida is... When's somebody going to write a movie where Big Frida and Nini are brother and sister? Because they <laughs> have such good chemistry. Mm -hmm. And then Nini, you know, when she's not being combative on Real Housewives, like on this show, <laughs> she's actually quite sweet. And she talks about her dead husband. And she's being vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And she seems to really get along with Big Frida. So those two talking, mm -hmm. you've never seen Nini just be normal and regular. Yeah, it was kind of weird. So it's kind of weird, <laughs> but like refreshing. Um, but it was hard watching fucking Ray J. I can't even think about Ray J. He's oh. so obnoxious and like such, he's so full of shit. It's like, it's like, it's a disease. Go away. It's a disease. Who wants to see you in any regard? Who? Well, and then it's so clear that he's calculating like all these scenarios to stay relevant. And, like he and his wife, I don't, I don't even care to look it up, but I know that they have claimed they're getting a divorce more than once. They may have actually gotten divorced and got remarried. Like, it's just this thing, like this carrot dangling in front of the audience. Girl, we don't care about your little raggedy marriage like, to Princess Love, whatever her name is. Brandy, come get your brother. And Brandy, I know she's embarrassed. Oh, she and especially be. after he got that ugly ass tattoo of her <laughs> on his body. How weird. Moving on, we finished um, that Vanjie 24 Hours of Love, the oh. dating show on Wild Press Plus Presents. And which next on the list of trash, yeah. Can we talk about this? Because every fucking episode, I was so frustrated. So it's a group of like 18 gay guys. They all show up at this rental house like in Hollywood somewhere. Mm -hmm. It's clearly not Vanjie's house. And for people who don't know, Vanjie is a drag queen who um, became pretty famous. I think she started on season nine and she was or 10 and she was eliminated first. Mm -hmm. And then she became popular because of her exit line, mm -hmm. which was like, Vangie, like saying Vangie, Vangie slowly. And then she came back the second 
the next season. The, the next season and was able to get pretty far. Mm-hmm. And now she's like, well, I don't think she is currently, but she was on the Vegas review show mm-hmm. with RuPaul's Drag Race. Anyway. A fan favorite. So 18 like attractive gay guys show up to this house and they're, it, they make it seem like they were told they're going to be on a dating show. Mm-hmm. So they're all mingling when all of a sudden... Vanjie as her drag queen persona comes up on the TV screen mm-hmm. and starts shouting as she's known to do. And then all of a sudden, Jose, which is Vanjie's real name out of drag, walks down the staircase mm-hmm. looking like a bloated prince with like Josephine Baker hair. Mm-hmm. And, a, and a Tyler Perry's Medea personality. Well, and all those veneers. <laughs> and I, I, I'm so disappointed that the production, and I know they probably didn't do this because Vanjie wouldn't have, you know, doesn't want to be seen in a negative light, I'm sure. But it's so fake, this idea that, like, I'm told I'm going to go on a dating show, and then I don't know who the person is. And then when he walks down the stairs, you can't tell me all 18 of those guys found him appealing. I don't know that two of those guys found him appealing. So the fact that they all have to fake being attracted to him and then spend seven or six, seven episodes saying that they want to win his over his love is just asinine. Uh, yes. And then having these grown ass men talking in their confessionals about, I was, I'm scared. I'm going to be eliminated. It's like, and oh keeping in mind God. the show is set over 24 hours. Oh, they all and look- some of that includes them going to sleep. <laughs> Y'all look so foolish. They look so stupid, but What's kind of magical about the show is I think it is like unflinchingly exploiting the reality TV like realm. Like this is clearly an example of people in Hollywood wanting to be famous who are getting on a reality show because they want some shine. They don't care. Like they're just selling their souls. Mm -hmm. For what? All that they probably got was maybe a little money for promotional stuff. Craft services. It couldn't have been more than a few thousand dollars that they each got, if even that, to make an appearance, to do whatever, and a boost in their, like, social media followers. A lifetime of Instagram followers. That's it. And now you're on this television show looking looking so crazy. And I know there are hundreds of videos of me on YouTube acting stupid, but that's at my own accord. Like, those are videos I edited of myself, so there's no one to blame but me. But these people, (laughs) it's just like watching these grown-ass men talk about someone you know they're not attracted to. Take a lie to tattoo. And then, like, some of them have to... And then being confronted with Vanjie's mom, sort of being awful towards them. Who's also not, like, a bright creature. Anyway, Uh, moving on. You watch something called I Love You Now Die. Oh, yeah. The Commonwealth versus Michelle Carter. The girl from Plainsville. The, the, the young woman who uh, allowed, who everybody blames for bullying that boyfriend of hers into killing himself. Oh, you watched both episodes? Yeah. Yeah. It was only, it's only so what episodes. did you think? I, I need to get a cold beverage. A cold pop. Uh, well, it's not a pop. Not, oh, okay. Oh, this thing is open. Look at this. Let my cold air out of the refrigerator. You know electricity's not free. I didn't I didn't come here to be chastised. But anyway. Uh, you know, I it's curious watch you know, it, it does a good job of laying out a lot of facts that obviously weren't reported or uh, focused on in the media. And basically that these two children never met. And this 
They never met. No, they didn't. This was all online. And <sighs> she convinced that poor boy to she, kill himself, having never met him. He was. He had suicidal tendencies before they started talking. He had tried to commit suicide, I believe. Um, <clears throat> and she, the more this revealed about her, she seems like this really lonely girl that probably didn't have any much affection or attention at home, that wanted to be friends with these girls, and then just learned that by telling extravagant lies about herself, she would get attention. That uh, sounds like a lot of people. It, it does. And so there's a lot of weird psychology going on that <clears throat> in this scenario that I found fascinating. But what gets her hemmed up is, you know, the, the, this boy, after months and months of coaxing, finally does this thing, right? And he had gotten out. The, the, the story is that she, he had gotten out of the car and he called her and she told him to get back in. Like he had wanted to stop. And that's like he was going to commit suicide by carbon monoxide yes. poisoning. And then he got scared. Yes. Called out, her. Called her. Got out of the car. And she convinced him to get back in and the she shit. she told him to get back in the car. But that, that's the story. But then if we, you know, kind of uh, go into the weeds here, she told, you know, because they have all these text messages, which, is, you know, it's fascinating, and, and phone records. But she didn't text him to get back in the car. That supposedly happened in a phone call but the only reason we know about that is because she texted another friend like one of these girls that she's trying to show off to that she did this that she told him to get back in the car so there's actually no evidence that she really did tell him to get back in the car okay. which is important because that is what the charge was wanton and reckless endangerment or whatever that she got the two and a half years for and lost the appeal to but I think what what's there's uh, some guy that wrote a Vanity Fair article, and I thought he was the most sensible one talking about all this. And, you know, how about this case highlighted what people hate about teenage girls. Uh, and uh, and I, I think he's the same person that talked about... No, somebody else mentioned, you know, when you're talking through text or email, you're kind of... There's a, there's a dehumanization that goes on in the process. And I think this this lonely girl, I think, was in her own little bubble. And I think that... When you live in this fantasy world like that, you poke and prod, and then, you know, it's like you're a character in your own movie, and then some, you know, a car crash happens. And it, yeah, I, I, I think it's, I'm not articulating it well, but I, I feel like I can see where this, this dumb girl was coming from in her actions, which were reprehensible, but also feeling like, oh, I'm not really to blame what this kid did. Uh, it, it's just shocking. Okay, moving on. My donkey, my lover, and I. Uh, yeah, I have to review this. I think it came out two weeks ago. Uh, Laura Kalami? Kalami? God, how do you say that? She's from uh, <clears throat> Call My Agent. Laura Kalami is the star. And uh, directed by Carolyn Vignal. And it's about a school teacher who has a... Uh, she's got a married lover. And she thinks she's going on summer vacation with him. But he's like, oops, my wife booked this hiking tour... Uh, so I have to go on that instead. And she follows and she thinks that you have to book a donkey because this hiking tour is this very expensive uh, thing based upon a Robert Louis Stevenson novel called Travels with a Donkey in the uh, Cezanne <laughs> where he went on this donkey trek. And so she's there following her lover and they meet up and it's... I thought I would like it better, but I didn't really love it. Lastly, we watched Thelma and Louise... So the row in the arts district downtown LA, they have 
rooftop like cinema club. Mm-hmm. So we went with a friend to see Thelma and Louise. Mm-hmm. I had never watched Thelma and Louise. Thelma and Louise. Um, I haven't seen it since I was probably a tween, but yeah. I knew the only thing I knew about it was it starred Gina Davis and Susan Sarandon, and of course the final shot of the film is their car flying off of a cliff. Mm-hmm. So I knew that was a thing. If you would have asked me why I thought their car flew off a cliff, I would have assumed that was the end of the movie and they were being chased Mm -hmm. probably by law enforcement, which is partially true. It's really like a suicide pact at that point. Yeah. I really enjoyed the movie mainly because I think Susan Sarandon and Gina Davis's performances are really good. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I was, it was, it was emotional at points. Um, I also like Christopher McDonald as Gina Davis's husband. Yeah, the the respective men in their lives do a good job. Uh, Brad Pitt, his role that could have been anyone to me. I, I think it's interesting. He looks like a straight up tweaker in this movie. He so does. the fact that people were so goo goo gaga. Oh, they over were. Him, yeah, it was that, and then a river runs through it. And yeah, he looked like a crackhead, but whatever. Um, and Michael Madsen as Susan Sarandon's love interest. Yeah, I thought. Yeah. Um, the law enforcement? Garbage. Garbage. Like, the acting, the writing. Poor Harvey Keitel. Oh, my God. It's, it, it's like, compared to the performances of Gina Davis and Susan Sarandon, that those characters, like, it's just embarrassing. The construction of how and why they're being chased is terribly written. The, 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 which I wouldn't have realized as a kid, but it's, it's like, what? Wait... At the point where what's his nuts is like maybe we should call the FBI to find out who killed this this redneck in a parking lot that has a history of. Uh, well, it's funny movie. because we just reviewed a movie called uh, Paradise Highway, and mm-hmm. the entire plot revolves around the fact that in sort of a similar area in the South, they don't have the resources. Yes. To find a a, a sex trafficker who's been murdered and an abducted girl who's probably been taken by the murderer. No resources. And then we watch Thelma and Louise, and it's like, oh, the cops are looking for them initially so vigorously because they might know something about the murder. When in the history of law enforcement have we put so much energy into, like, trying to find, like, a potential witness? And they are all... They have all these people, like a team of people... Just sitting around... Waiting for Gina Davis to call Christopher McDonald... (laughs) There was a lot about the story that didn't make sense to me, but their performances are very moving, and I think their friendship, it just, you know, I I think when I was, I was getting emotional because I just kept thinking, like, we all make decisions that alter the trajectory of our lives, Mm -hmm. and the reality is, like, some of the, like, all of the actions we take have an effect, Mm -hmm. and sometimes they're irreparable. Like, there, once you crack an egg, bitch, like, I mean, so I think, like, you know, Susan's character kills a man who was attempting to rape Gina Davis's character, and she was triggered because we presume that that, she had been sexually assaulted. And no pre- one had, and no one, and no one had her. helped her. So she acted in a way that was um, excessive, mm-hmm. and probably would have been in trouble for it, but, yeah. you know, she decides to run. I, um, yeah, but the final scene when they both decide, like, let's just kill ourselves. Let's just keep going, yeah. I just, I don't know, that really spoke to me. Not because I'm suicidal, I mean, I do long for death, but the, Mm -hmm. but it was more like, 
um, just that realization that like the jig is up. Mm-hmm. Well, it's also such a. It was to to me. It felt like like I often feel that way. No one needs to call nine one one. I'm not going to kill myself today. But I often think like death seems very relaxing and peaceful mm-hmm. compared to how difficult life the is. The struggle of life, yeah. And I think like I can. I'm not going to go down this road except to say that I I when they both look at each other and say like let's just keep driving and we know that that's we we can see in their faces that they know what that means to each other. It just felt like a like like a sweet relief. Mm-hmm. that really well, spoke to me also uh, uh, what speaks to me in that moment too is it's a big fuck you to the system <laughs> and then yeah <laughs> that, like, that, that doesn't want to help me or support me yeah yeah so it's you know and what you know watching it i do have to say that little setup was kind of raggedy at the rooftop cinema club at the row because the email you received said there would be alcohol and food available from two nice restaurants at the row Mm -hmm. and we get there and they're like, Oh yeah, there's no food. Yeah. I mean, there's no alcohol. And then, Oh, the food you'd have to order it and then you can bring it up. Mm -hmm. Like, (laughs) okay. So, and then those tickets were expensive. Yeah. So I don't know that I would go again. It was enjoyable though. However, if someone from rooftop cinema club wants to invite us to go for free, uh, I will certainly do that. Mm -hmm. Anyway, moving on to projects of interest, the wager. Oh, Leonardo DiCaprio, killers of the flower moon. We're already being told it's pushed back to 2023 most likely, but he's Scorsese is reuniting on a period piece already with, uh, DiCaprio called the wager. And Jane. Alfonso, Alfonso Cuaron has announced a new project starring Charlize Theron called Jane, which is about Philip K. Dick's twin sister who died in infancy, and she plays the sister. So, interesting. Okay, unfortunately, there are several many entries in the obituary section. Oh my god, yeah. Starting with Paul Sorvino. Paul Sorvino. I'm assuming that's Mira's dad? Yeah. Okay, what is he? what, what do I know him from? Well, Goodfellas. I've never seen that. You've never seen Goodfellas? Oh, I haven't seen Godfather. I haven't seen... <gasps> oh, Goodfellas. Oh, I'm putting Ray Liotta's dad. Uh, uh, the, ga- the original The Gambler, uh, The Cooler, I remember him being good in. He's just... He was in so many films, and he is one of those character actors that when you see him, you know that there's some quality going on. Uh, but yeah, and then of course he gave us his daughter, Mira, who, who you haven't seen Mighty Aphrodite, and she's excellent in that next ronnie cox ronnie cox another character actor that's been around forever has just died you probably remember him as a villain in robocop from 87 the verhoeven but he's in a ton of stuff too okay mary alice mary alice uh she was the replacement uh, she was the second uh, woman to play the oracle in the matrix films and she was in denzel washington's fences uh a bunch of other stuff if you looked at her you'd recognize her but she passed away Bernard Cribbins Bernard Cribbins a British character actor he was in Hitchcock's Frenzy he also was a songwriter Uh, he wrote a song called Right Said Fred which is where that uh, duo got the name that saying I'm too sexy sexy." for (laughs) Uh, but yeah he I think he was in his 90s but he's dead as well David Warner and then David Warner who another uh, character actor who played a lot of villains uh I, I remember him uh, in The Omen, the original, and Straw Dogs, uh, I believe. But, uh, yeah. There's um, one more entry. It's Bill Russell. He played for the Celtics. Okay. He's he's notable. I know who this person is. He's obviously not a film or TV actor, but... How old is he? He was in his 80s. Okay. But he passed away. Okay, we need to pause for one second. 
Okay, we're back. So the secret movie today, what made you choose it? Uh, I've liked this movie. Uh, I haven't seen it since like 2005. And it's getting a restoration finally. And it's kind of a, a cult status film. Um, and we have reviewed a, a film by this filmmaker before for its Blu-ray release. Uh, and it's uh, got... What a, was that film? Uh, Get Out Your Handkerchiefs. I don't recall. Oh, well, we have a video out there, <clears throat> and you liked it. Oh. Uh, but the name of the movie we watched today is called Going Places. It's a 1974 French comedy drama film co-written and directed by Bernard Bertrand Blier. It's Bertrand Blier. Bertrand Blier. Uh, the original... The origi oh, go ahead. The, it's based on a, his novel, but the original French title translates to The Waltzers, uh, which is a vulgar French slang for testicles. So, the basic story is there are two guys who, they're, they're just like reprobates. They, mm -hmm. They're in France somewhere, and they're just roaming around robbing people, raping people. Jean-Claude and Pierrot, yeah. They meet a lady who's like a prostitute slash shampoo girl. <laughs> Marie-Ange, played who, by Mew Mew. Who kind of goes on this journey with them, but... The, the, there is no story. It's just them going from place to place, stealing shit and having sex. The only sort of arc for any character is that the lady played by Mew Mew, when they first meet her, they sexually assault her, essentially. Mm -hmm. But she's very nonchalant about it because she's used to being taken advantage of sexually. And the plot point for her, or her character trait, I guess, is that she can't um, achieve an orgasm. Or never has. When another, we can get into it deeper, but another character comes along, another man, and sort of joins their, their little trio, and he has sex with her. And during that process, she has an orgasm. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the only thing that really happens. But the film ends with them just driving off like they have every other time they stop and steal someone's mm -hmm. car. And uh, notably about that, the, for the U.S. version, uh, he had to censor it because they, uh, he originally had them die in a car crash. <laughs> they need to die. Um, this is I very... will just say, I didn't take any notes. I was not in the mood for this film. I think it's just a, you know, it's just a depiction of vile people being vulgar and like, sex like unnecessarily sexual and having no morals which is not it's not that i can't tolerate that or don't think it should be shown on film i just think maybe the older i'm getting i'm just i don't know just like i think they're okay being drawn to depravity for depravity's sake is just like i don't know there's just like I, a cynical I, component to it that bothers me and I know that you'll probably say that you had a professor who told you that you're attracted to trash or something. Or well, I did. That did happen to me. And I would agree, but I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think that, I don't think this. I think that you're being really dismissive. But uh, no, because there are things in here that there is a journey that these characters go through, and I think it's saying something about uh, societal degradation and the messages we received about how we're supposed to act or how you know this film couldn't be made. It, it was remade in 2019 as by John Turturro, but it's it not in the same way, obviously, because, but what we allowed men to get away with. I don't think it's not saying anything. I just, this would be an example of specifically for me, like being confronted with something that isn't the right time or the right place or like, you know, on a Sunday morning, 
like this was not the movie to watch on a Sunday morning. So already I was just like, I don't want to watch these people being so like vulgar and amoral and depraved. And then spitting, like sending a message is very clear to me, which is that these men feel like they can do whatever they want, that the rules don't apply to them. They're despicable towards women. That oh, they're it, that I mean the, the the title of the movie the original title that refers to testicles that is a plot point for one of the characters because he gets shot mm -hmm. while trying doing some hood rat shit and he gets shot in one of his testicles and then he feels like he's having sexual performance issues mm -hmm. and then in the end seems to enjoy sex again but also sex that he's sort of taking in a way that he shouldn't be but anyway yes but but on the journey they're learning to be that uh, to be more considerate humans in a way in a way but i feel i could talk about this for at like at length because so it, i don't think that the film is not doing anything i just think that it was the wrong time to watch this movie it didn't really make sense for to, for me to have to watch this this morning so i had an attitude about it but mm -hmm. there is a lot there was a lot about it that i could talk about mm -hmm. namely the idea that you know what I was thinking is this idea of what do you call it when Christians uh, do bad shit and then they repent? Okay. Okay. So I felt like this sort of made me think of the idea of repentance because you just said that they sort of learn to become what? What? How did you say they learn to become? They, they, they learn to become more considerate. Considerate. So I think that's very interesting because in life I think people feel like everyone's so self-centered and. Um, hypocritical and selfish mm -hmm. to some degree, some more than others, but everyone has a component of them that is that. And I think we think that if we make adjustments, like tiny adjustments, that somehow we've redeemed ourselves. Like that's some version of repentance. So the fact that these two guys towards the end, you're saying they become more considerate, but not in other people's property. They become more... Oh, they're not redeemed. No, no, no. But what I'm saying is that the way they become more considerate is that they are more concerned about pleasuring the woman sexually. Mm -hmm. But it only comes because it's like a challenge. They're upset that some other guy made her reach orgasm, so they want to do it. And in the process, they're a little more tender with her. So I can see how people, like these characters, would think like, we're better people because we did this one thing. But in reality, you're still vile yeah, they, people. Yeah. So I find that very interesting. But again, because society has allowed them to be... I find it funny uh, you use the word cynical because Roger Ebert in his review called that it's a film of truly cynical decadence and also the most misogynistic movie I can remember. <laughs> uh, and well, I don't know if that made... Well, I don't know when he wrote that review, but I mean... 1974. Oh, well, I mean, he should have waited till the 90s when we get all these fucking R-rated comedies where they're being super misogynistic. Right, but, but it also plays a bit like a mix between a John Waters film without humor in the, the, the sexual depra depravity uh, mixed with something like The Honeymoon Killers of these, pe these duo and then trio cutting a swath of, you know, what violence through the French countryside... Uh, I think I was also triggered by feeling like I feel like very attuned to feeling like a lot of things happen to me and I don't have a lot of control over them. Like I feel like I have very little control over my life. I've just everything's happening to me and I have to deal with it. And then watching these characters act like rules don't apply to them. Mm -hmm. They can do what they want to do and other people have to be okay with it. I feel like that's 
that's how my life is. Like everything's being done to me and I just have to be okay with it. And I don't really have a voice. So it yeah, it, it just was not the movie I wanted to watch today or any day, but it doesn't mean that the subject matter doesn't have value or doesn't have a message. I just think that to watch someone watch it and like snicker and laugh and be excited is like, uh, it, it's, it's not me. I, like, it's not a fun watch. It, it's not entertaining. It's, 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 it's troubling. It is troubling. And it's real. Like, people mm -hmm. do act like this. I'm not naive. I'm not trying to act like everything's there, frozen. There, no, I say John Waters without the comedy because there really aren't a lot of... There are some characteristics and things that happen. But uh, to me, my favorite part, though, is Jean Moreau uh, as the woman they pick up. The older woman they pick up out of uh, prison. She's just gotten out of prison because they decide that they... Oh, God. That was triggering because they pick up this older woman mm -hmm. like they've done before with women. And they want to have sex with her. And she's into it. Not at first. Not at first, but she warms up to them very quickly. And mm -hmm. you could talk a lot about that. Like, this woman who's been in prison, she's older than them. She's been incarcerated for 10 years. She gets out. She clearly wants to feel the touch of another person in a different environment. She has sex with both of them. And then this lady gets up out of the bed, walks to another bedroom. They're in a hotel. In the hotel room. And she shoots herself in the vagina mm -hmm. and kills herself. Which is, but I think that's because at the restaurant they were at, she stops the waitress and tells her she has that monologue about how she stopped getting her period in prison. She, she stopped menstruating, and you keep talking. There's some shit going on outside. And she, saying, telling, basically telling this woman like, you know, it's it's gonna be gradual, but. Uh, even though they're annoying and you get cramps and you're irritable, just appreciate that and, and don't, don't forget to enjoy that part of life. Uh, so what I think is so striking, because that's the scene I remember most, uh, is her death scene from watching it when I was in college, is she's giving herself menstruation, <laughs> is what she's doing in that act, um, which is very depressing and troubling, but... Because uh, her life has been taken away from her. Like she, you know, she aged out of that period of her life in prison. And then, you know, they are, seem guilty about this. And they take her suitcase, which is filled with letters to a child she had. And then they go, he's about to be released. And they... From prison. And he's he's the one that gives uh, Marie-Ange her, her orgasm. Because they go, it's like they try to take him under their wing. Uh and we're told that the only reason that she can have the orgasm is because she has the control in that sexual interaction with him, which is, uh, you know, maybe by today's standards, obvious, but also interesting about human nature and sexuality and how we raise men to think that they need to believe to, to be sexual with women. Uh, but John Turturro, as I said, redirect, he, he remade this film as the Jesus role, starring himself in 2019, but kind of modified it. Uh, based on a character he created from the Big Lebowski, so it has all these other weird connections. But Susan Sarandon is uh, ostensibly that Jean Moreau character, uh, and of course the remake is a lot less uh, daring. Well, I also found that scene with the older woman killing herself a little... Uh, I mean, I, I need to stop using the word triggering, because I feel like I'm reducing the value of it. But, yeah... I mean, I don't know what I thought that represented, except that maybe she, I don't know. It's, she's throwing up in scenes too, and I don't know if she has, they're, they're, I don't know if I missed a detail about her having an illness. 
I, I thought it was related to the sex she just had because the two men are vile. They, they smell, they're dirty, like, and then, so these, I didn't take any of the sex that was being had as like particularly enjoyable to those involved or it, it being forced upon them. So she seemed okay, but she did rub, uh, like cologne on him. <laughs> right. So I, I don't know. I don't know. To, to me, it felt like just being immediately when I saw her that she had shot herself to death by shooting her own vagina. It made me think that she just like, she had had enough, like she had had enough obviously, but I mean like with sex. No, I think that she was she was trying to reclaim the youth by reactivating a menstrual cycle, like a because that as I was saying, that's what she tells that waitress. She tells the waitress, "Yeah, be grateful that you can still have a period." But you think she killed herself to have a period? I think she wanted to die. The based on the, but I'm saying, why does she want to die? We don't know. But that's what I was trying to say. Okay. Is I think that maybe she had. She clearly had had enough. That's why she wanted to die. But I think it was related to just. But like, I think she was going to do that no matter what. Sure, but the the way in which she did it represents. I I think the manner in which she killed herself does relate to the fact that she um, is probably in menopause. But I I think that this sort of like last because she's also overeating. Like the two scenes mm-hmm. we see her eating, she's like being very excessive. So I think, she, yeah, like she knew she was going to do something like this. Mm-hmm. It's her last meal. But, you know, the sex part of it is just like, yeah, I don't know. I could go on and on about that topic, but. Uh, and then, of course, Isabella Perez is in the final scene of the film is a 16-year-old <laughs> who ditches her parents uh, to go with them in the car they steal and they take her virginity. Yeah. She was actually 21 at the time. But. It was all a little too much for me, but it, it's not that it's like frivolous. It's just not an easy watch, and it's not... This is the film that made... Because the, 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 the hooligans are played by Gerard Depardieu and uh, Patrick Duar. Patrick Duar killed himself uh, in the early 80s, but he was in uh, several of Bertrand Blier's films. Uh, and this is the film that made Depardieu a star. God... Yeah, he's gross. They're both just so gross. Like mm-hmm. like the characters and... Yeah, the way they go about the world. I don't think Gerard Depardieu was good looking, but that man fell off so hard. He did. He must have had a drinking problem there, or something. Uh, yes, I think so. And I think his son had health issues and died too. Uh, Jesus. He was an actor. Uh, there's a scene where it's implied that he raped him. That he rapes Patrick... That Jean-Claude rapes Pierrot. Yeah. Which is... <laughs> Again, these things happen. People are like this, but it just, I think my issue is the excitement people have of like, I want you to watch this. Like, I want you to watch this and I want you to react to it. To me is, that's the part of it that I would probably agree that it feels like cynical decadence. Like, these are real stories and they're hard to watch. And the fact that people think this is like entertainment is odd to me. In the same way that we find, like, ultra-gory horror entertaining. But I, but I also don't think that that's... I mean, we, we talk at length about that, how it's kind of not very healthy that we crave. Not me particularly. Like, I don't... I can very easily watch, like, torture porn. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, I'm not, like, squirmy or whatever. But, you know, then I have to ask myself why. Why does that appeal to me? Why does it not bother me? 
you know, the, just interesting things. How can I watch a movie about two guys who are out here stealing and sexually assaulting women, each other, and then not be bothered by it? Well, right. It, it, and then if I am bothered by it, why would I elect to then subject myself to that? You know, and I haven't seen it for 17 years, but I did feel more uncomfortable watching it now than I remember feeling uh, about it's just, you know, growing as a, as a human being. It's the, the, the ways that you become attuned to the world and people in it, it, it is an, an uncomfortable film. And I don't remember feeling that uh, the, when I saw it in college. Yeah. I, you know, if for nothing, for no other, or if for nothing else, it's a reminder to maybe, you know, I think everyone could sort of take a little inventory of who they are and their desires and how that's working out for them. <laughs> like the choices we make and the things that we think we deserve and, you know, what excites us and, and our desires and, you know, cause we were talking about, who are we talking about this with that? Oh, related to that, they, them movie mm -hmm. and this idea, particularly with younger people of like, and especially within the LGBTQ plus community of there being so much inclusion and acceptance of like, you know, everyone's, I hate, and so many people say this and I hate it that they don't want to yuck other people's yum. Uh -huh. And, and I think that's bullshit child. Some of the shit y'all are doing is yucky. Like it just doesn't make sense. And then because we, we find ourselves in little bubbles and communities that support our bullshit, you think it's okay. Mm-hmm. So I'm not trying to say that like saying you're, you know, questioning gender norms is a problem. What I'm saying is that I think sometimes we need to maybe take a step back and think about why are the things that we find appealing? Well, or what the risks are of some behaviors. That why do we like, like yeah, why do some people who or... engage in high risk behaviors, like you make excuses for them and then you involve yourself with other, yeah, if everyone else you're hanging out with also likes to go suck dick in the park, then no one's going to judge you. But if you got outside that bubble, people would be appalled for a variety of reasons. And it's not homophobic. It's like health concerns. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, like I was saying the other day, there are people who we know like that who will go cruise the park for dick and then also talk about how like dating in L.A. sucks. Girl, you can't have both. You can't. If you want to go suck dick in the park, that's fine. Well, it's, you know, like reading. <laughs> that's a quote. <laughs> Uh, uh, reading Camille Paglia's uh, essays from the early 90s, you know, when the AIDS crisis was still raging and talking, you know, she's trying to say, like, we have to be realistic about the damage that can be done to your body, right. anal intercourse. Uh, well, and that and then also your mind, like, when you find such extreme behaviors and scenarios alluring, including watching ultra-violent things, playing ultra-violent video games, how does that alter our brain chemistry and how we relate to other people mm -hmm. because I have a lot of experience relating to people in a more intimate way. And a lot of people feel very disconnected and they feel like they don't, they just want something and they don't care. So actually probably the most triggering thing about this movie going places is the Mew Mew prostitute lady, hairdresser, hairdresser, shampoo girl, when she's having sex, the, they keep complaining that she just lays there and she doesn't say anything. Mm -hmm. And to me, it's like, yeah, because she's not enjoying it. Mm -hmm. Like, it's okay, but she's not, like, 
she's sending you a message mm-hmm. and I have a lot of experience with that. Like, it's like people don't care that like, this is like, you're telling me you want these things and you're doing these things to me. And it's like, you don't care that I do or don't want it. That's how people act. Like mm-hmm. people are so and comfortable telling me what they want and what they want to do with my body and touching me and things like that. And it's like, do you not care if I want to do that or, and I feel like many people can relate to that. Mm-hmm. You, as in anyone desiring me, you know, part of that has to be reciprocated and that needs to happen for anyone you're yeah, uh, inclined to be physical or sexual with or romantic with. And I think this movie depicts that in a way that's horrifying to me. It's like a nightmare that yeah, it's just like people don't, you're not supposed to watch that and be comfortable or no, think I that, know. that girl is fine. I, I, I know, but I think some of the language people use it's like, you need to take a step back because you sound like a fucking predator. You mm-hmm. sound crazy. Like, <laughs> you, Yeah, you, it's, it's funny because uh, how much of our behavior, predatorial behavior in the gay community is really excused quite easily. There are people who like, you, you know, I'm assuming anyone who listens to us is familiar with these tactics and, and platforms, but it's like people get on apps looking for casual sex and they engage in it on a very regular basis and then in the same breath they'll say like people are being weird with me they're clingy they're lying to me and it's like yeah the nature in which you attain ob- ob- obtain these things is a breeding ground for deception and abuse well that, and, I th- and 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 <laughs> i think that's what's fascinating about the girl from plainsville case the text message suicide scenario is the the level of desensitization of, for another human being that it takes on, on both of their parts you know <laughs> i want people to be careful i want people to think twice about the things they want and desire and the reactions they get from other people everyone's so quick to complain about what someone did to them and it's like do you ever think why they did that to you do you ever think why that person ghosted you right mm-hmm how many people do you talk to and they're like, oh, like, I, you know, it's so embarrassing. Like, you keep telling me, like, you go on all these first dates and no one calls you back. And then it's like men in L.A. are trash. No, you're trash. Like, I mean, it's very basic math. Mm-hmm. It's like second grade math. Like, <laughs> the common denominator is you, girl. If every scenario is the same, if you keep getting to these precarious situations where you feel like your safety is a... Uh, in, in, in question, then maybe you need to reevaluate the situations you're putting yourself into, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. You can't always be the victim. And I don't know, I, I went way off topic, but this film was just very... So it's proof that it does have a message, and I think it's effective in that regard. You know, I think if someone does want to watch it, they'd have to be in a good headspace to do so, because it's just, it's, just it's just very bothersome. Mm-hmm. But... You know, I, I guess the purpose of art is to also invoke a re- invoke a reaction. So, and you know, it did that. But mm-hmm. well, yeah, there's a reason that it, it's a film that has a certain cult status, and it it the thing, you know, it's troubling, but it's also, in a way, that freedom in the '70s of being able to kind of look at the world and how troubling it really is, and that we aren't allowed to do now in the same way. Sure. Yeah. Like, sure. Because I've seen the Turturro film and it, it, he's trying to do something else, which is respectable. But, you know, we don't have these, I feel like there aren't a lot of things that we have this reaction to because we're not really talking about how kind of 
awful the world is. I actually think this would be a good movie to remake it in modern time because I think kind of like that movie uh, with Issa Rae and BJ Novak. Vengeance. Vengeance. The opening scene is BJ Novak and John Mayer talking about women mm-hmm. and dating. Yeah. And they're fucking vile. I feel like Going Places could be remade, but yeah, it couldn't be remade the same way because people don't interact that way anymore. Right. Men aren't just out on the street grabbing women's asses and, and titties and, and <laughs> like, oh my god, that wouldn't be tolerated. Like a mob of people would surround you mm-hmm. and like protect the the person being assaulted, hopefully. But I think you could do it in other ways, like the way people. I've had so many conversations with people, like talking about dating, and it's like you have a really unhealthy view and approach of this thing that ultimately is supposed to result in sort of a meaningful connection with another person. Mm-hmm. And your actions are unhealthy and borderline abusive, super toxic. I think this movie could be remade, but you know, a big component of that would be online. Yeah. A big component of that would be, because we do get a little bit of it in this movie where they're sort of lying about who they are. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't matter because as the audience, we can see these two ain't shit. They're just like grifters. But in reality, there are a lot of people out in these streets who work at Target, Best Buy, the dentist office. These are people with jobs and lives and homes. Because as far as we know, the, the, the two guys in going places... They don't even have a home to live in. No, which when uh, Jean Moreau asked them, like, what do you do for work? They're like, oh. So They're not I, even smart enough to be. So I think what's more scary is in 2022, especially if you live in a big city, there are people who, you know, get by and they're out here playing games. Yeah. And like, you know, how many podcasts are there where people are talking about like some person who dates them and cons them out of this? And that's essentially the modern version of what we saw in this movie mm-hmm. is people are using online platforms and scamming people out of money and like, yeah, it's just, well, and then that this, the brazenness of their actions couldn't last like them just taking all these cars, but like, yeah, yeah, you're right. They, they steal like what? Seven, eight cars yeah. throughout the course of the film. People aren't doing that nowadays, but that's because you can't steal a car the way they stole them. Mm-hmm. You can't just hotwire something anymore, but then there are other ways in which people, mm-hmm. right. So, it's very interesting. I think that's all I have to say about it. Is there anything else you want to say? No, it was the first uh, of three films that uh, Uper has since been in with uh, Depardieu, including 1980's Lulu uh, by Maurice Pila, which I highly recommend, uh, which they're both leads in, and then in 2015's Valley of Love, which I also really liked. And what are we doing this week? Uh, Tomorrow is... I was going to say Bird Box. Bullet Train. uh, Different... (laughs) Sandra Bullock film. Um, Sandra Bullock is in Bullet Train? Yeah. Oh. Because Brad Pitt's in that Lost City movie that she did as well. And then uh, that Joe... Is it Joey Coy? Joe Coy? What's his name? Easter Sunday? That comedian. I have no interest in watching Uh, that. That's this week. Um, And a really interesting sounding Diane Keaton movie called Mac and Rita, which has a phenomenal uh, supporting cast, including Loretta Devine and Taylor Page. Uh... Yeah, that's about it. Do you have a quote or you want to tell us about a book? Oh, I'm reading My Policeman, uh, written by Beth Ann Roberts. The film's set to premiere in Toronto in September, starring Harry Styles. 
uh, about a policeman who's married to a woman but is in really love with a, a man. Uh, and as I'm reading it, I didn't realize that it is based on the real-life relationship of E.M. Forrester uh, that he had with uh, a policeman and his wife, which is fascinating to me. No quote? Uh, from Mr. Bertrand Blier himself, loneliness forced me to be my own best friend. Yeah. All right, bye. Bye. Yeah.